welcome back to SpinalCast. I'm your host, David Stevens, and joining us today is Nick Labasi. Alongside his impressive resume, which includes having served on the board of directors for the United Spinal Association and Disability Advisory Board for Alaska and Virgin America Airlines, Nick is also a former municipal mayor, deputy mayor, police commissioner, fire commissioner for the township of Rochelle Park in New Jersey. Nick currently works as the vice president of sales for Mobius Mobility. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, David, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I do have to say that's one heck of a, a, a resume or a background there, and I don't even think we mentioned half of half of what you provided with us so that, that's, uh, what, that's what happens when you get older <laughs> you get all of these you get all of these things you're involved with <laughs> well and and you're clearly a uh, a dedicated hard worker so uh it's it's something that uh i think is is worth mentioning um so i i think our hope for today is kind of learn a little bit more about you talk about your story um and kind of get your perspective on on spinal cord injury and and your your way of, of handling it and and things like that. If, it, if that sounds good to you, I think we'll kind of kick things off. Absolutely. Perfect. So first and foremost, I think the, the best place to start would be, uh, you know, your injury. Would you be willing to uh, tell us kind of about your accident and what, what took place and how it all went down? Yep. So uh, I'll be coming on 27 years. Um, I'm a T10 Asia A uh, para. I was injured in a skydiving accident in 1996, November, uh, was in a wow. midair collision with another skydiver and we collided at terminal velocity and I snapped my femur in half and um, ripped a lot of my gear. I wasn't able to deploy my main chute. I was able to get my reserve out, but because my femur was broken, my leg was behind my head when the reserve came out, it wrapped around my leg, so it never fully deployed. Um, oh my gosh. I fell uh, over 15,000 feet and, and landed um, in, in the woods, probably about a quarter of a mile away from the drop zone landing area in the airport. And um, I, they think I hit between 85 and 95 miles an hour. So it was, it was horrific. Um, crazy that I didn't pass out. I was totally awake the entire time, uh, including on impact. I laid there. Um, I had known I broke my back. I obviously was staring at one of my feet and couldn't find the other that was wedged into the ground. So I waited for uh, help to arrive. And um, you know, I saw people peeking through the woods, like wondering what they were going to see. And I waved them, off, waved them, let them know I was okay. Um, they came to get me. I, I asked them not to move me until the paramedics got there, and, and they did. They right. uh, you know, extricated me and. Uh, airlifted me to a level one trauma center um, where I had over 16 hours of surgery to fix my spine and orthopedic uh, injuries. Oh my gosh. I was in the hospital, um, in the acute hospital for seven days and then was released to um, Kessler Rehabilitation is where I did my, my rehab. Um, okay. And, and where uh, is that located? That's in West Orange, New Jersey. It's a okay. model spinal cord center, one of only 15 or 16 around the country. So I was fortunate um, that it's not far from my house. It, it uh, Ironically, it was over four hours from where I was injured, but I was away from home. So when, when, yeah. when I got to Kessler, I was a lot closer to family and friends. Yeah, that's that's definitely a benefit. Yeah. Um, so going back to the, the injury story, I mean, that is, it's incredible that you survived 
uh, an accident like that. Um, what how, what happened to the the other gentleman or um, lady who jumped with you? It was a gentleman. It was actually a, a Pennsylvania state trooper. I had just met him that morning. Um, he bruised his elbow. I saw him. I saw after he after he hit me. I watched him deploy his chute. So I knew he was able to deploy, but it was all split second. Um, yeah. yeah, he bruised his elbow, um, but but no no other injuries than that. Well, I, I, you know, if there's any silver lining, at least not both of you were severely injured from the the collision. That's yeah, that's good to hear. But um, clearly, a uh, a life altering injury at that. So now, kind of jumping to the rehab um, that you discussed. Um, was there anything in particular that you appreciated about rehab or that you learned to love um, about rehab or did, was the whole process kind of a grind and, and you know, not a whole lot of fun? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't I don't want to say it's a grind. You know, looking back on it, I think it, you have so many, you know, put put aside the physical rehabilitation and the exercises and stretching and all of that that you do, the physical as- aspect of it, but just the mental Mm-hmm. was the most difficult, you know, 26 years old, used to doing everything independently to become, you know, paraplegic is, you know, it's it just m- more mental yeah, uh, and emotional than anything. I mean, the physical stuff, I, I you know, I, I played, I played football, I wrestled, I was very active, the, I, you know, I, I worked out all the time, the physical stuff, that wasn't going to get me. It was more of the mental, you know, trying to every day, just trying to be positive enough to get to the next step of, all right, listen, I'm just going to, today I'm going to sit up a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to learn to dress. I'm going to figure out how I dress myself laying in a bed, you know, just those types of things, you know, bowel and bladder are big issues when you become paralyzed. Um, and again, the emotional, when you put all of the emotional stuff, as big as that is, you still have to, you know, you still have routines that you need to do. Um, and you need, you know, you still need to take care of yourself. So I don't know if there's anything that I loved about it. Um, again, looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think right. looking back, um, I, um, I don't want to even say proud of myself, but probably proud of myself that yeah. I was able to get through it because when I think back, it was, it was a dark, dark time. There's times that I go to the same rehab center now to visit. Yeah. And as soon as I go in the door, the smells, even after almost 30 years, just takes me right back mentally. I get a, I got a pit in my stomach. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the, the mental aspects of it was really brutal. And I know many people that have, you know, listen, if you can't walk, you can't walk. You're going to learn, you know, the physical part's the physical part, learning how to reach things. It's the mental, mm-hmm. part. you know, it's the, it's the mental day to day, you know, you ne- it never escapes. You just have to always stay positive. And I would say that that's a positive, you know, that's something that I learned is, is, you know, don't, don't let it get you down. You know, there's things that are going to come in your way. Right. You just have to be strong enough mentally to overcome them. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, uh, completely valid and and actually that makes me think is was there any component of the rehab process in which you were talking to um i guess i guess psychologist or someone to assist with the mental side of it yeah i'm i'm smiling because i um at least the rehab I was in, and I know it's not uncommon in the model spinal cord centers, you have a team. So you have your physiatrist, which is your rehab doctor. Mm -hmm. You have um, your urologist, you have your nurses, you have your aides, you have your occupational therapist, your physical therapist, and your uh, psychology team. Um, So you're required to meet with them once a week. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so I pretty much just went in there. I wasn't ready to talk to anyone. Um, first of all, when I was injured, I couldn't sit up. Uh, I couldn't sit up more than 15 degrees, which is virtually nothing. I mean, I had troubles sipping soup. Wow. Um, because I had my pelvis and I couldn't wait bare on my pelvis. So for nine weeks, over two months, I couldn't sit up more than 15 degrees. So everywhere they took me, they had to roll me in my bed. Oh. Um, so I'd be in the psychiatrist or psychology department working with one of them. And, you know, I pretty much told them what they wanted to hear. I just didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I just wasn't, and I'm a firm believer. If you seek psychological help, you have to want to do it. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's probably like any type of, you know, an addiction or something like that, you know, you need to want to do it. And at that time I just didn't want to do it. Um, two or th two years, about two years later, I, I had, um, I started to get about a depression and I sought, uh, I sought out somebody from that rehab center that wasn't the person I had spoken with years, two years before, but someone that I ran into the, in the hallway and became friendly with. And I felt comfortable with her yeah. and we started talking and she was a huge help. So when I was ready to do it, it was a big help. It just that initially I wasn't, I wasn't ready to do it at all. I was in denial for myself and I, I felt personally like I needed to come to terms with it before I could try to articulate it to someone that I don't know. Right. I, I think that's totally fair. Um, I myself has had my own um, difficulties. I'm going on my, uh, well, it's sixth year of sobriety um, coming on September 3rd. And so, um, you know, I've I've had plenty of, of days and evenings spent uh, in a room with somebody talking about where my head is at, and I I think you're totally right. It it for me it came down to um, a want to change, and uh, this this thing in the back of my head that said I can't keep living the way I'm living, um, and I want something different, um, and that really kind of curtailed into those discussions becoming incredibly valuable and I just kind of let all the walls down and uh you know became comfortable with who I was and what the situation was yep and then once I kind of let that stuff be the truth then the rest kind of came easy it it felt like every time I went in there it was a weight off my shoulders yep no I agree and I think you know for me for me personally, it w it just happened to be the right person at the right time. Yeah. Um, I still have the utmost respect for her whenever I see her, which is infrequent. Um, but you know, maybe once every two or three years, she's since retired, but I've run into her at some shows that I do. Um, and I just have nothing but great, great feelings for her. Um, you know, for the help that she provided. And really it wasn't like she was telling me what to do. She was just listening, you know? Yeah. And it was just, exactly. I was ready for it and she was the right person on the other end. So it worked, it worked out well. And, and, and I would never demean it. I don't think that, um, I don't know if it's for everyone. I, that's not for me to say, I know that mm -hmm. I never thought it was for me, but then when I found the right connection and the time timing was right, um, it's something that I, I know now definitely helped me without a doubt. Yeah, I, I completely feel similarly about my situation. So, um, well, let's kind of switch gears then. So we, we kind of talked about the injury and the rehab. And uh, given your uh, hist history background of, of all these different roles and positions in your working life, you're clearly um, dedicated to your career. Um, so how did you transition, um, you know, into a new career post-injury or like how did you transition back to work yeah well 
first, I want to say that work was probably the best thing. Going back to work was not probably was the best thing that I ever did. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It normalizes you to a degree that you can't you can't do on your own. You, you know, you, you, there's something to be said to get up every morning, shower, go into the office, go to work, interact with other people. You know, it it made me forget about my disability, which again, I'm, I'm not wasn't trying to to deny it at that point. It was just that I was trying to live a life like everyone else. And when you're in the midst of working with peers, you're 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 like everyone else. Um, right. So, so having said that, I was a carpenter by trade before I was injured. Um, I had a successful business. Um, and when I couldn't do that any longer, and I probably could have, um, you know, in, in a different to some capacity, degree, in a different yeah. capacity, um, I just know how I was physically wanting to do everything. And it would just, I, I know when I was first injured that the thought of not being able to do something really brought me down and I didn't want to put myself in that situation every multiple times a day, going to a job yes. site and not being able to, you know, reach something or being able to do something myself. It, it just would have been, it would have been more negative than positive for me. Um, so what I did do is, is I, I decided I put a business plan together uh, and I did this six months after I was injured. I, I did it six months after I was injured. Um, I put a business plan together. Um, I went to vocational rehabilitation in my county, um, mm-hmm. got some funds to buy a, a computer. I started doing some research. Um, and again, this was in 96, this was early 97. So it wasn't like now. I mean, it was dial up. It was, you know, it was, yeah. it wasn't great like it is now. But I, spent, <laughs> I had the one thing I had was time. So I spent <laughs> looking and researching and I, uh, I decided I was going to start a, a, a small woodworking business. And, and that's what I did. I found the building um, that I rented or leased and then bought all brand new tools and modified the either the tools or the way that um, I would use them. And I, I built I built all different types of small furniture, cabinetry, um, you know, wooden end tables um, yeah. for things for like baby stores. I made rocking horses, you know, you know, tons and tons of stuff. So I did stuff for outdoors. Um, one thing I wasn't was not was not motivated. I was motivated to do something. So I started out building like uh pressure treated wheelbarrows and bird baths and wishing wells and went to, I think I went to like 150 personally went to 150 with my dad, different landscaping nurseries around wow. the, the state and, you know, said, Hey, this is what I have. I had a trunk full of stuff. Yeah. You know, this is what it was. Sold your wares. And that's how, and that's how it started. Um, I did that for a couple of years and um, I didn't want, to, um, it was very physical. And, um, I guess, you know, that time I was close to getting 30 and I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do this. I was wheeling with long, you know, my shop was set up, it was on the ground level, but I'd get load of, a, a load of the de- wood delivered, you know, heavy, knotty pine or, oak yeah. or, you know, uh, black walnut, whatever it was, maple, heavy stuff in long lengths. I was moving that all around, putting it on the saws and it was fine, but it was a lot. And I, 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 I started to realize that I was going to need my shoulders as I aged pushing a wheelchair. Um, and yeah. I, I didn't want to ruin them. And I thought that I could do something else. I, I wanted to, I wanted to try something else. So um, I had at the time I had started um, hosting a golf outing to raise money for spinal cord injury research um, that I would, would give to Rutgers university of Rutgers. Yeah. And um 
I had I had my first outing, you know, a thousand bucks, twelve hundred bucks, whatever I whatever I raised, and um, the next within between that first outing and the next outing, um, Dr. Wai Jung from Rutgers and, and Dr. Morton had called me and said, "Hey, we're having a we're having a, a black tie fundraiser in Lincoln Center in New York." I don't live yeah. too far. Would you like to attend? I said, absolutely. I went and rented a tuxedo and I sat at a table with nine other people. I had no, I never had met before in my life. They were a sponsor. They were Johnson and Johnson. Um, mm. And I just hit it off with a bunch of the people that were at the table. One of them happened to be vice president of sales for a division within J and J. And the other was a director of human resources. Um, I told them about my golf outing. They said, we'd love to play next year. I kept in touch with them. I invited them. They came and they got Johnson and Johnson to sponsor a whole. We started awesome. a friendship. They approached me with, uh, an opportunity to work at Johnson and Johnson. And ultimately I was hired and worked under that VP of sales for several years, but that was my foray into, uh, you know, the professional realm. The, yeah. Uh, the corporate world. Yeah. 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 What a um, cool story, though. I mean, yeah. I love I love that it's the community, like basically the SCI community that kind of helped branch you into these new opportunities in your life. Yep. And um, yeah, so the product was the iBot, which is a, which is a high tech wheelchair. And this is this was back in 2001 or 2002. Um, mm -hmm. Well ahead of its time then. Um, so it was difficult to get penetration into the market. There were a lot of different things, uh, including FDA, um, the way the FDA classified it, and and the ability to customize the device for individuals. So it was it, it was difficult, um, but J and J ultimately made the decision after six or seven years not to uh, not to sell the the product anymore. Uh, I was mm -hmm. one of the last people on because I was in sales management at the time, so I was responsible for making sure that every all the sales reps had closed out properly, got the vehicles that I got, you know, vehicles returned, storage unit shut down. So it was a really it was kind of depressing because um, it was a, it was great to be able to see so many people benefit from the product, and then here I am, you know, closing shop. It was it was it was difficult. Yeah, but I wound up going to um, a, another J and J company recruited me. Um, so I, I, I didn't even have any time from when I, from the day I left the following week, I started the new position. Um, mm. and it was for a company within J and J called Aura Pharma selling, um, periodontal, um, for periodontal injectable antibiotic for periodontal disease. Um, mm. and I disliked it tremendously. <laughs> not, not your cup of tea, huh? No, I didn't like calling on, I didn't like calling on dentists and, and, uh, surgeons. So I, I did that for, um, well, while I was with J&J, &J, I, I had been asked to sit on the board of directors for United Spinal Association. Um, and, and I did do that. Um, so it was probably about three years I was on the board when I took this other J&J &J job. And um, we had a scheduled board meeting face to face in Orlando. And uh, the board members all flew in and we, you know, there were several different uh, programs within the organization and everyone was pretty much asked to split up uh, into groups and take a mm -hmm. different segment and, and talk about how it can be improved, what's, what we're doing good and, you know, what, com what, what needs, you know, changes. Right. Um, there was an organization within United Spinal called Wheelchair Medic, which was a wheelchair repair service in, in, um, at the foot of the, at Throgs Neck Bridge. Uh, okay. And 
they did a lot of wheelchair repairs for Eastern Paralyzed Veterans, which ultimately became United Spinal Association. And that was the business that I was asked to work on with two or three other board members. Uh, after several hours, we came back and, and we identified that, it, that it's a profitable business, but it could do more, just needed leadership. There was no one, you know, there was a shop manager and several techs and a big warehouse, mm -hmm. and, you know, but there was no one driving the business. And um, so that was my, that was our presentation. We get up there to present and my group nominated me to present. So I, I explain everything to the rest of the board and, and the other board members go through um, their analysis of the different programs. Yeah. About a week later, I got a call from the CEO and he said, you know, uh, we were thinking about it. What would you, would you, would you consider coming, you know, leaving the board and coming to run wheelchair medic? And I really didn't even have to think too much about it. It was just the right time. I didn't, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing with the, the Johnson and Johnson company. So I left and I figured, yeah. you know, try to give back. Um, I had done well up until that point and I just followed my heart and I went and um, I did really well. I mean, within six months, the CEO asked me to come in and work directly under him as uh, director of special projects, which was a great title because I couldn't be pigeonholed into one thing. I did, I right. did um, which was pretty You wore awesome. a bunch of hats. Yeah, it many, was Many, awesome. many hats. Yep, yep. I got exposure to a lot of different things. Um, and then, and then uh, ultimately wound up being um, vice president of chapter leadership and chapter relations. So I built the chapter network for them, um, which is something I'm very proud of. I still have a lot of great contacts around the country from doing that. Um, mm -hmm. Several other things that I implemented there. So it, it was it was really um, a special time for me. I was there for 11 years. Um, oh, wow. And then uh, three years ago, I was at a trade show and the booth next to me was the iBot, which had come back on the market. Full circle. And it was something that I loved, you know, almost 20 years ago. And yeah, I, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, help them and, and I chose to do it. So it was difficult leaving United Spinal, but uh, I still keep in touch with everyone there. And now in my role here, we support them um, in, in various dis different initiatives that they have as sponsors. We're, we're sponsors to a couple of their programs. So uh, I couldn't be more happy. Um, it's very exciting, very challenging, very rewarding. You know, as I was preparing to uh, jump on this call with you today, I did go ahead and poke around at at your Mobius Mobility's website, and I got looking at the uh, the iBot. Um, is it the PMT or PMD Personal Mobility? PMD. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it is flipping incredible. Uh, that device is remarkable, um, yep. and I. For anybody who's listening or watching, we'll make sure we put a link down to your your guys' website in the description. But uh, you should check it out because it's it's. Uh, I I think a lot of people would benefit from something like that, and so it's it's very cool. I I guess my question is, do you get to use one? Yeah, I I use one. I use one all the time. So I travel pretty much around the country. Um, we have uh, we have twenty three VA centers. Uh, the spinal spinal cord centers that have a, a demo unit and and are trained mm -hmm. to show their veterans and to do some of the training with them. Um, but I do trade shows around the country. Just last week, I was I did the DAV annual convention, um, which was five days. We exhibited, so I was in an iBot for five straight days doing stairs. I mean, I do a lot of the re uh, repetition, but but it's it's very rewarding um, because it does change lives and you get to see firsthand. Um, 
you know, you get to see firsthand how people uh, benefit from it, which is incredible. Totally. And, and a cool thing, I mentioned the VA. So we've had a, the, we're on the federal supply schedule with the VA and have been for a couple of years. Um, so that's been a main source of our revenue um, other than cash uh, or cash pay or private pay. Uh, we also work with a lot of nonprofits that have paid for um, devices for different individuals. But we recently received our ACHC accreditation, which allows us to build private insurance companies mm. and in turn also allow us to file for our Medicare provider status, which we hope to receive in the next couple of months. So yeah, things are definitely progressing and I'm excited that we're going to be able to offer this to more and more people. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I, I From our discussions with other people who have, you know, they're not what I would call cures, but they're definitely solutions that make a huge difference in the lives of people with spinal cord injuries. Yeah. It always seems like that last hurdle of, of insurance and making sure that more people can actually acquire it and use it and gain the benefits of it is really kind of the hardest part of of any kind of push but uh it sounds like you guys are making great progress in that sense and so that's awesome to hear yep it's it's exciting well so you know when i went through uh the uh this this sentence here on my on my script with all these commas of all the different roles and responsibilities you've had uh you know there are some politic uh titles in there. I mean, you were municipal mayor, deputy mayor, um, you were police commissioner. So how, how did that all come about? How did you get into the whole politics realm? Yeah. So I, um, in, in my town, um, I was, I had, I wanted to put a pool in like two years after I bought my house and I had to go for a variance. And I was so annoyed because I, <laughs> why do I have to go for a variance? I'm improving my home. I'm putting a built-in pool in. I'm gonna, I, you know, I had the whole plans, landscaping, be- beautiful. Excuse me. Why do I need to go for a variance? I should be able to dig holes in my yard if I want. You know, that's how I felt. Totally. Yeah. Having background in the building trades, I understand, but was frustrated by the process, and ultimately kept getting delayed and delayed because they didn't have enough members to sit to. to, to for the for the for the zoning board to go before them, so I wound up getting the approval on like December 11th of one year, um, and I called the contractor when I left that night and said I got the approval. He said, "All right, I can be there Christmas Eve day. I'll drop off everything." So they came Christmas Eve Christmas Eve day. They ripped my fence down so they could get into the backyard and started loading in materials. And then disappeared until July, uh, till January 2nd and started doing my built-in pool. And, and they did it in three days, but they weren't able to fill it all up because it started to freeze. So they had it. Yeah, stopped. I was going to say in the middle of the winter. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, I wound up, it, it, I was able to use it in the spring and it's mint, but, it, but whatever. But so shortly after this, I was at a dinner with some people in town and um, I happened to be sitting next to the mayor at the time. And uh, he said, oh, Nick, I know about you. And I said, oh, what do you know about me? And he said, well, he said, I understand you had a hard time with this variance. I said, well, it wasn't really a hard time. It was more, um, you know, it was more of, a, of you know, a hassle. Um, you know, I understand trying to do it, whatever. If I was given the first date in September, I would have been done. It would have been a lot easier. And um, he said, well, I know you have experience in the building trades. Would you be interested in sitting on the zoning board? He said, I get to make appointments every year. And that time is in two weeks when we do our reorganization. And I'd like to be able to appoint you to the zoning board. And I said, yeah, sure. 
I'd be happy to. And I did that. I did that for several years. Um, but a few years into it, I started to get involved. You, you know, you, you're you're in the municipal building often. You know, yeah. you, you work with clerks, you work with building inspectors, you work with the tax collector, you're working with the township engineers and architects. And so I started to become friendly with a lot of people. And um, I was asked to run for for um, it's called township committee because we're incorporated as a township, not as a uh, not as a city. So it's township mm-hmm. committee as opposed to city council, but it's essentially the same thing. Um, it's a softer form of government. So we um, I, I was flattered, but I, I wasn't in a position to do it at the time. I was traveling a lot for Johnson and Johnson and, uh, I, and I'm sorry for United Spinal. And it just wasn't a good time for me. Um, but a couple of years later, um, I was approached again and it just, it, it felt like the right time. So I committed, I did what I had to do. I filed all my paperwork with, uh, paperwork with the federal election committee. And, um, that was it. I started campaigning. I put together a, a plan on how I wanted to attack it. I had somebody that I knew that had ran campaigns before I took on as a campaign manager. I had a running mate that was already in office. So he was running for reelection. So I had some of that experience. I knew the issues in town from being on the zoning board. Plus yeah. when I decided I was going to run, I started going to a lot of the council meetings to, to better understand. Um, and I wound up the day after I started on July 5th, and I went to, uh, I think over 5,000 homes, every home in the, every home and apartment in town, I went and knocked on every single door. Um, wow. Just to introduce myself, handed out my, you know, handed out my brochure. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, w- it was interesting. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you when we had spoken prior, but people ask, well, how did you get to use a wheelchair? How did you get to everyone's door? Well, it, the, the truth is it was very few people that I was able to get to directly to the door. Um, I had a good running mate that would go with me the days that he wasn't there. I had a younger, my, my nephew at the time was 13 or 14 loves politics. He got a buzz. He was like, he was my honor. <laughs> he was my honor campaign manager came to all my fundraisers. Um, you know, and, and I ran when, when you run for even local government like this, you know, the, the, you're exposed to congressional leaders and senators. So I was with a lot of them and my, my nephew just geeked out over all that. Um, but I would well, too have bad to, you didn't. Too bad you didn't have an iBot to climb up everybody's steps and everything, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> my nephew would knock on the door and say, "Would you like to?" My uncle Nicky's running for, you know, township committee. Would you like to come meet him? And and that he did. <laughs> they would come down. So, um, you know, listen. I'm not going to say it was easy. I mean, there were a lot of people that slammed the door. They don't want anything to do with totally. you. But there's one thing I can handle. It's rejection. I mean, you, you learn to deal with that in sales, um, and certainly, you know fighting through a spinal cord injury, you, you come up with times you don't feel like you're doing as much as you you're, you should be or could be doing. So, you know, you learn how to handle and manage that. So um, I won by a landslide and um, I was seated. I, 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 the election was on a Tuesday. My attorney was there. I was there when, you know, sitting in the, in the, in the polls, getting the count. Um, and there was no way the, the municipal uh, municipal attorney came up to me and said, listen, you won by such a large margin that if anyone ever contested it, there would be no there, there would be no challenge. So you're you're able to sit tomorrow night as a as a council member elect in the first. Awesome. So I went the very next night. I was in the closed door meeting negotiating the, uh, you know, police contracts. <laughs> and so it was it was a it very was cool thing. Yeah. And then from there, it just it blossomed. I uh uh, I became mayor. Um, my first year, I got uh, fire commissioner, um, and I did that for all three years that I served, which was which was probably the biggest honor, even over being mayor. 
Um, I love our fire department. You know, these are yeah. people, men and women that in the middle of the night. And I knew because on my phone I had, you know, I had the hookup for I'd get all the calls in town. Um, you know, I can't even count how many times in my three years sitting up there that I, in the middle of the night I'd get, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, I'd get a call that there's a smell of gas. I never got out of bed to go, but I know, right. you know, I know those, those people were doing it. You know, it was, it was just an incredible experience to represent them. Um, and make sure that, you know, they had access to the things that they needed. Um, it, it was it was the best uh, part of the entire experience. I, I, I wound up being mayor uh, for COVID. I was sworn oh, in, wow. I think, on June, uh, January 4th. And like two months later, COVID broke out, which, which was uh, which was crazy um, because it was just from from a municipal standpoint, you know, government closures and all the different things closing down the parks and working with the board of education. And, you know, it, it was just, it was an incredible experience. I mean, um, just overwhelming. When I look back at it now, I'm, I'm like, I, you know, I, I wonder how I even got through it. It was crazy. Yeah. What a, what a, if, <laughs> what a ridiculous time to be plopped into that position too. I mean, right. I, nobody obviously could have been prepared for what was to come when it came yes. to COVID, but just the fact that, you you get thrown in and then immediately that's that's what takes place it's uh i think it's testament to uh your ability to adapt and and be um you know uh, for lack of a better term think on your feet <laughs> um and really just kind of you know change with the times as as the times need changing so i, I you know i have i want to kind of deviate just slightly from this and i i really have one more question one final question for you um and it's really regarding both uh, your own experience and, uh, with your injury, but also just kind of the SCI community as a whole. Um, are there any kind of key lessons that that your disability has taught you um, or what kind of things have you learned from the community as a whole that have changed your outlook on, on spinal cord injury? Yeah, I, I'll say spinal cord injury, but life in general and my experience is the same as what I would see in the community itself is, is don't ever sell yourself short. If you see something that you want to do, go do it. Yeah. You figure out a way to do it. And it's not just, I mean, that's the way it's been for me. Um, you know, I grew up a Catholic. I believe in God. I believe that, you know, um, he's driven me as well as my family and my, 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 my social support. Mm -hmm. But I tell you, besides me, I see it every day that I'm working. I see so many different people that go out there and just do it, you know, and, and that's, that's the one thing that I've learned is, is that if you want something, you can do it regardless of your level of ability. Awesome. Well, that, I think that about sums it up. I, I don't think I have any other further questions for you. It's been awesome talking to you, a wonderful story to hear. Um, I think you are an inspiration uh, for anybody who is, um, you, you know, even going through a hard time, whether that be a, a spinal injury or, um, anything of that sort, I think, uh, it shows that there is light, um, at the end of the tunnel and that light is good. And, uh, it's, it's just been great. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah. You know, David, one of the things I want to relay is I'm not sure, you know, I'm sure there's people that are going to watch this and say, oh man, this guy's totally positive. How could he be positive with, you know, not being able to walk? And, and, and I empathize. Um, a story I didn't tell was when I was at first, um, when I was first injured at Kessler. Um, I, again, I couldn't sit up for more than 15 degrees. I was probably there for three or four weeks mm. and my family had left. The lights were dim in the room and 
someone wheeled into the room all happy-go-lucky. It, it was a friend of somebody that I knew before I was injured. Mm. And he had told him that I was injured. He said, you know, someone that I know is injured. You know, you're, you've done so much with your life. Would you go see him? And I can remember him rolling into the room. And I'm just thinking to myself, this guy, how could he be so happy? He can't walk. You know, we were just yeah. such different places. Um, and I just, it just, it just, it, I just, it hurt me. You know, I was like, I, I, I just couldn't understand how someone could be happy when they can't walk. You know, they have all these bowel and bladder issues. How can someone truly be happy? Um, right. I can tell you now that I'm happy. And it wasn't long after that, that I became happy. And I say this because people that watch, um, don't think it's all easy. It's not easy. You have to have, you know, you have to have willpower and you need to want to do, do well, but at the end of the day, you can do it. You, you just can do it. You can lead a good and productive life. And, and, and ironically, two weeks ago, I'm, I'm on, uh, I'm on the Kessler disability advisory community board. Yeah. And this, this gentleman's on, this gentleman's on the board with me now after oh. almost 30 years. And I told him the story that, you know, you came into the room and I just couldn't believe I was like, who is this guy? Why would he be so happy? Uh, and we joke about it. So, uh, another life. full circle moment. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I, I think I think what you're what you're talking about is is so important to remember, and that you know it doesn't it's not going to happen overnight. And I don't think anything um, good in this world happens overnight. Um, and so it's it's really having the patience and the understanding that it's tempor you know the current state of your emotions and your thoughts are temporary, um, and that you can you can get to a better place. Um, that's, that's a huge, huge thing to communicate. So 100%. Well, perfect. So, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and close out everybody. Thank you for watching and listening. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, maybe give us a thumbs up, hit the subscribe button, that sort of thing. Uh, if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, you could always give us a follow. Um, but Nick, again, it has been fantastic having you on. Um, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks. Thanks.